You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Hey, it's your host, Lurk. We at Lamgoat just want to thank you for checking out the Van Flip podcast. And if you're listening to us on a platform that you can rate and review us, we would greatly appreciate it if you did so. It helps us out a lot. Not only can you visit us at lamgoat.com, but feel free to follow us on social media at Lamgoat on Twitter and Instagram. And be sure to check out our Facebook page as well. And if you already didn't know, you can check out all these podcasts in video format on our YouTube channel, as well as other content. And speaking of other content, Lamgoat would like to introduce the Van Flip Patreon. If you've enjoyed the show and you would like to continue supporting the Van Flip podcast, for just $5 a month, you can be a Patreon supporter. Not only will you help be improving the podcast and helping it grow, but Patreon supporters also get early access to episodes, bonus episodes, exclusive content, Lamgoat swag, and much more. To become a Patreon supporter, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash the Van Flip. If you would like to become a sponsor of The Van Flip, drop us a line at info at lambgoat.com. In this episode of The Van Flip, we travel down to Tampa, Florida and interview under oath guitar player Tim Mateg. Oh yeah, what's this? I feel this. Oh yeah, this is stuff. Uh... Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. Welcome back to the Van Flip Podcast. Uh, This week's guest is Tim. I'm Mick like, Tag. There it is. Who I've you can't tried. get it right. You won't get it right. I've Let's tried just let it rip. Many times. So it's Mick Tag from Under Oath. He <laughs> also is the entrepreneur behind where we are sitting currently, uh, King State, which is your brewery slash coffee establishment, which we'll get into in a second. Correct. But you also have a side band. Cheers, bud. Thank you. And we're drinking his uh, his beers. They beer their beer. They brewed here. And you're also in a another band, Carol Hood. Carolhood. Carolhood. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll just start uh, with thanking you for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having us on. Hey, thanks for having me on instead uh, of us. Well, not instead, in in our stead, rather. In place. Letting me uh, represent right, under oath on your podcast. You're, you're representing the entire yeah. band, which is fine. No big deal. Yeah. And we, I'd like to note that uh, you are on a seat that's three to four inches taller than me even though i am a short person i'm okay with that i feel I'm not the tallest person extra either. small yeah i'm not the tallest sitting person on this either. big boy table so let's just get that out of the way for all the <laughs> there's also a little watchers. bit of construction going on around here so if you hear any ambient drill noises or stuff that's why yeah it's very organic uh no we're at a uh, king state our bar and uh me and my brother-in-law nate from amberlin uh own it and we've been building it for about 18 months and when we booked this interview i thought we'd be really close to done right now and we are we're about two weeks out but we're doing the last finishing right. touches Delays so happen. you're gonna hear a click and a pop and a hammer and a drill and that's just, just going to be part of the power experience through just power through it 
But that brings us to the first topic of discussion for you, Tim. Um, what is King State? Uh, King State is... Because you, you, I think it's a beer, right? Or your beer brand, and then you yeah. opened a brick and mortar? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so it's cool because Nate... So my wife and her sister... My I'm married to my wife, and my wife's sister married Nate uh, Young from Amberlynn, mm-hmm. and that was unintentional. But somehow, me and Nate, who I've known since I was like 14, became brother-in-laws. Uh, so we were friends, then we were label mates because Amberlynn and Neroth were on the same label. Then we became family, and then we became business partners. Um, and just over the course of our lives, we toured around the world and saw all these rad places: Portland, Chicago, all the way to like London, Tokyo. <clears throat> you know, Australia, all this stuff and, and really felt like where we came home to Tampa, you know, wasn't representative of what we've seen everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so we really wanted to start King state. And I think we were, I think everyone's tempted to like grow up in a small town or a smaller town and then gravitate towards a city that has a more established culture. Yeah. You know, people from Florida go to Nashville and Atlanta People from the Midwest go to, you know, Chicago or Detroit or some, you know, city that's burgeoning with some sort of culture. Culture. And yeah. And, and I think, you know, where we, Nate and I landed was, you know, before Seattle and Portland were Seattle and Portland, like there was a group of 10, 20 people max that made Seattle cool mm-hmm. or made Portland cool or, you know, built, you know, all these small cities into really invent, like, inventive cities with different things and so we started king state and that's where the name came from it's just kind of this idea of like we tour every state in the country and we tour every you know country and continent in the world right and we believe that florida and tampa has something to say it's just not fully been said yet and there's a lot of rad restaurants a lot of rad breweries a lot of rad bars and a a a really cool art scene and there's really cool a really cool music scene yeah. that somehow is still dismantled in a complete sentence, you know? Like when you think about... Well, the Florida man thing doesn't do with the state any justice. Yeah, I mean, we're the butt of every, you know, Joe Rogan joke or whoever. And I think that's... I, I would argue rightfully... There's just more so? crazier stuff happening here because there's a lot more crazier things going on. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating that our state is... Um, not doing the things that people say we're doing. Uh, but I think there are pockets where, you know, Tampa, Miami, um, Jacksonville, St. Augustine, like there's a lot of cool stuff going on in these pockets mm-hmm. amidst like kind of the chaos. So we started King State. We just said we want to build a company that kind of roots us here because we're rooted everywhere else for most of our lives right. touring and kind of refocus what we've learned kind of back here. And so that's where the idea came up. So we started roasting coffee like five years ago. We launched that to market. Um, and then we started going, you know, roasting company grew, bought another roaster. We have a roasting facility down at the skate park of Tampa. Oh, nice. Which is like a really famous skate park, yeah. Tony mm-hmm. Hawk and they all that. the big pro-am there. Exactly. So they have the, the, you know, the am, the pro. And again, like Tampa is facilitating huge things in culture, but. I don't think anyone really sits back and goes, oh, Tampa is where stuff happens. Yeah, it's a it's a big area because I lived here briefly for a number of years, um, for like five years, four years maybe. But 
I when I moved down because I had never lived here, nor did I, did I really ever travel to here outside of like Bush Gardens per se. Yeah. And uh, when I moved here, I was like, there's so many people because it's not just the Tampa city. It's like the Tri City area where you have like St. Pete, Clearwater, Tampa, and, sure. and all that stuff. But there's yeah. so much like culture in general of just like there's different, you know, uh, you have different races, you have different people, you have everything. It's just, it's like a giant mixing pot, you know, culture in this little area. So when sure. I moved down here, it like blew my mind about how big it was. Cause when you, when a lot of people think about Florida, it's usually like Disneyland and Orlando or sure. like Miami. So yeah, uh, people think that w- where we're from, Jacksonville is like Florida, but it's basically like Georgia. We live in South Georgia for the most part. We're sure. right on the border and you know, all of our palm trees are implanted. They're not grown there or anything. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's right. You know, I think, and, and I don't think that if I was anyone else, I would think anything different. Mm-hmm. You know, I think overall, Florida is really fragmented. And even in our city, like we don't have a lot of big downtown stuff. It's all neighborhoods, which yeah. I think is really cool. I mean, we're in a neighborhood called Tampa Heights. And like, you can literally look across the street and see residential houses. And like our bar just kind of sits in between an interstate and a neighborhood every which way from right. it. And I think that's the difference. It's like people want to go to like the cool district and we don't really have districts here. Yeah. So there's a lot of destinations, but when you think about, you know, everything from like Copeland to Amberlynn to Cannibal Corpse to Under Oath to all this stuff. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Even just in music, like the St. Pete, Lakeland, Tampa area Busting. Has, has done a lot, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of really cool bands that have come from here. And, and unlike, you know, a Saddle Creek and a Connor Oberst crew who sits in the Midwest, but it's like everyone associates like the faint and Connor Oberst and bright eyes and Mm -hmm. all of, you know, all of these different cursive, all these different things as one hub in the middle of the country. Tampa has the same thing, but I don't think it's viewed that way. And it's really interesting. So the long short of it is King States named after us, just kind of, comedically raising a middle finger to everyone and going, yo, we're out here. I mean, I'll agree with it. It it is a, I've traveled not as much as you, but I've definitely traveled through most of the States in this country uh, over my time in my life. And I I always think that like, damn, Florida is home. It's, there's nothing like it. People can rag on it all they want, but it's pretty much a destination spot for a lot of people. And there's a reason. Totally. And I mean, it's hot as shit in the summer and and, (laughs) like it is right now. Yeah. And, and, and we're okay with that, you know, and it's just something that you adjust to. And I think, you know, it's, it's easy to rag on and I don't get mad when people do. I'm not like a prideful, like pro Florida, especially about about temperature by any stretch. Yeah. But (laughs) I mean, so King state just kind of started as that. And we started roasting coffee and we had a dream to open a bar and the building we're sitting in, we actually circled for like three years. Oh yeah. It was for sale. Then it was for rent. And then it stayed on the market for like almost two years. And I had our real estate agent reach out and I said, I want to buy it. I don't want to rent it. And he's like, you don't get to buy property that isn't for sale, <laughs> but they were selling it 18, right, 20 months right ago. Before, yeah. He's like, that's not how that works. I'm like, just try it. I mean, I think we're going to be able to buy it. And literally three months later, we bought it. And so we bought this building in the heart of Tampa Heights. And it's right in the middle of everything that isn't happening. You know, everything two miles north and south of us is like busting. And we just wanted this building because the building looks great. It's in a really cool neighborhood. We're right off the interstate. And it's just an interesting neighborhood. Well, it does look like – and 
I'm not super familiar with this particular part of Tampa, so to speak, but driving around because while we're getting here, it does seem to to look like this whole area is on the up and up for like I hate using the word hipstery type situation, but it seems like a lot of uh, local businesses are kind of trying to move in and just and make this area a bigger, better, bustling area too. Yeah, I think they are, um, and I think you know one of the biggest misconceptions is like by businesses moving in. That means the current residents have to move out. Right. And I think this whole like gentrification model is obviously relevant because it happens regularly. But one of our biggest goals was to kind of come into the neighborhood and not, you know, do anything that disrupted the people that just have lived here for 15, 20, 30 years Mm -hmm. and just more enrich the lives of everyone around here rather than try to come in and then have someone else buy this building and then in a year everyone has to move out and then new people move in. Right. Uh, and we've made friends with all of our neighbors. We got Ruben, we got Love It, we got DJ, we got Shane. And all these dudes are like dudes like Love It over there in the tan house. He's lived in this neighborhood for 30 years. Wow. And he's just an old school like homie and he's like lived <laughs> on Flora, Nebraska. This is his street. He's been here, seen a lot of things. Yeah. And we, we'd be building outside and we hear like beeps and honks and we turn around thinking, Oh, it's our friends driving by and everyone's just yelling at <laughs> yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like he's like the godfather of this street and he's happy to have us here and we're happy to, you know, be here and like, we, we work with all beer. these guys. Yo, he's, he comes over all the time. <laughs> He'll come over with a big old cup. Just like, yo, pour me up. Let me try it out. Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of touched base on you kind of just did everything uh, as far as like my questions about beer and coffee. But what made you get into the coffee? Because you you do make a beer with like both, right? It's infused or something. Don't you have infused coffee into a beer? Yeah. Yeah. How did you get into the coffee and beer business? And what made you think of like, hey, let's just infuse, infuse those two? Uh, I mean, I think for me and Nate, like Nate really got into coffee about a year and a half, two years before I did. And like really into it. Like the whole chemistry, extraction, dosing, all of that. You know, mm-hmm. at that point, coffee to me was just put enough sugar in it to make it not taste like crap right, and right, roll. Right, right, right. And, I, and then I started developing a palate and then it, there was this whole, you know, single origin movement and then the third wave and pour overs and the stuff that's almost like considered hipster mm-hmm. or just millennial now yeah, yeah, like uh, was, was kind of new and interesting and yeah and then everyone exploited and bastardized it now every roaster that comes out is organic artisanal roaster yeah, yeah exactly and we don't even we don't use any of that language because it's just such a tired concept right but you know kind of realizing that coffee and wine were almost symbiotic in the sense of like there's notes there's ways to taste things and that every single region, where, where whether it's a grape or a cherry seed, which becomes a coffee bean, you know, whenever that's grown, everything from elevation to temperature to moisture affects that. Yeah. And so it was really interesting to understand, like, coffee isn't just this thing you get at a gas station to make the next drive when you're on tour. Yeah. And so we really just got into coffee and started nerding out on that. Uh, always love beer. Um, <laughs> and you know, we've had, we have a lot, we've been fortunate to have a lot of really cool breweries around here. One of the biggest being Cigar City, mm-hmm. who, you know, came out 10, 12 years ago, I think. I don't yeah, even know when they came out, bit. but at least when I started drinking beer, they were already around. <laughs> and, you know, in Hialeah, I remember tasting that and just my mind kind of exploded. 
And that kind of just launched me into the craft beer world and IPAs and like, you know, completely different stuff. Yeah. And just like the Miller Lights and the lagers. See, and I'm, the, I'm there. The I, haven't, I haven't dove into the whole like craft situation, yeah. the artisanal side of the, of, of beer bit. But I definitely, uh, I've done that with other things. So I understand how like easy it is to nerd out on like coffee sure. or beer or anything like that. Yeah. So and you can be that. a car guy. You can be a woodworking guy. You can be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for me and Nate, we just kind of fell into like, what's, what's the one thing we want to do when we're not touring? Cause touring's so cool. And I think there's this idea of when you're 17, you join a band, you start touring full time and then you realize you're on tour. And you're 24, 25. Yeah, still. You, it, yeah it, it's amazing. And it, it almost makes you unemployable in a lot of ways. And, <laughs> sure. and, and I think one of the biggest things is like, but you also don't want like your life after the band to just become, just oh, that. now it's time to just be mm-hmm. an accountant or well, a banker. And I think some people are really well suited for that. And some people love that. But for us, we were like, what do we, what do we want to do? that doesn't involve us being physically fit when we're 40, 50, 60. Right, right, right. Um, and I think that's kind of where we were like, well, what if we started something in like this space? Cause we're both passionate about it. So we started it and then, you know, boring a three hour kind of origin story of King state, <laughs> you know, we bought this building. We hired one of our really good friends, Eric, who's our head brewer who brewed all this uh, and launched our beer side and we gypsy brew over the bridge in St. Pete. And so now we're just building a bar. We're going to have coffee and beer that we brew and then a bunch of taps for our friends and breweries we love. Oh, cool. And we're going to have food. Um, and we're going to be open early morning till late at night. Oh yeah. And we're in a really cool, diverse kind of melting pot neighborhood. Well, it's definitely right off the highway, which is good. Um, yeah. Good the location. Right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like right off the highway. If you were yeah. Like- so it's fun. So we've just been grinding on that and like, you know, I'm sure we'll transition to that naturally, but I mean, when Amberlynn stopped touring and Underrose stopped touring, like King State was kind of the full-time thing, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like we started that as kind of a transitional piece from closing those chapters. And now that Underrose back and, you know, and, and Amberlynn's back doing, you know, small runs and shows. It's yeah. like, it's been interesting to kind of go, Oh, we thought we were done with this. So we kind of started our next life. And, right, right, right. And now we find ourselves right back it's, in the middle of it. But it's always good to do that, to diversify yourself in general. And it's always cool to see like, <clears throat> cause a lot of people don't really, or may not know, they might not pay attention, but they may not know in general about what like, you know, their favorite artist or other artists are doing yeah. outside to supplement their time in or income. Sure. From, cause I mean, let's be honest, there's not a lot of like scene bands, hardcore metalcore and all those kind of bands that, can make a uh, like a full on living off of just music and touring and stuff. Some some of them yeah. don't have it like that. So it's always interesting to see like where they spend their time elsewhere too. Yeah, I mean, I think with Under Oath, we've been really fortunate to be able to have whatever level of of success we've been able to to have, and and that's happened almost year over year. And mm-hmm. we've had dips and really good years and really bad years, but overall it's maintained. And you know, even at you know, where we are now, which is a place that I never thought we'd ever achieve. It's, it's not what you think it is. You know, yeah. it's even if you have a, an amazing year, you're set for the year. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, six, seven, eight months Get back on that horse. later, like there's something you have to do. Mm-hmm. You either have to tour, start working, do your thing. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions when they see like so-and-so got nominated for this or they, 
charted on Billboard or they played in front of 2,000 people last night. Like, I think everyone automatically thinks that quantifies, like, they're in a different class of life. Rockstar lifestyle. And financial freedom and everything they have is just easier. And it's just not. Well, you guys have a lot of people in your band in general. It's like more than the average. Totally, yeah. But with our manager in it, we have seven people. So yeah, you're right. Every dollar, we each get 14 point whatever cents. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, and and I don't think that's why we started it. I know for a fact that's not why we started it. And I know that's not why we continue to do it. Uh, It has to be sustainable for us to be able to do it. But I mean, if we wanted to be rich, we all would have just been lawyers. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, we love touring. We love playing shows and, we also want to continue to love touring. I think that's like a big thing. Like we all have kids. Most of us have kids. Mm-hmm. Most of us have wives. Um, not all, but as a father and a husband and speaking personally, like there's something about touring that's magical and also like so painful. Yeah. And if it's consistently magical, that means it's consistently painful. Mm-hmm. And I think that that side of just not being around when your kid takes his first step or, yeah, you know, needs the breaks his arm on the playground and you weren't there to be with your daughter when she got a cast or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, those things have to be prioritized. So I think for under oath and for us and for me in, in under oath, it's this idea of like, this is a gift. I never thought at 35, 36, actually Sunday, 36, I joined the band when I was 17. Mm. Band 19 years. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, no one would have ever told me, and me believed it, 19 years into you joining this band. <laughs> You'll be in it. You're so. going to keep going, and you're going to be doing, like, some of the coolest stuff. Yeah. And still being able to provide for your family. And well, that's also, I mean, that's awesome as well to be able to do that and just be as lucky as, you know, you guys were in, in general. We absolutely are like lucky. Like we said, it's hard out there in the streets. But, um, since we're kind of transitioning over to the music side, uh, one last question I have that's not really music based is on your, we kind of recently, or we touched on it right before the podcast. Uh, we, we are, you obviously aren't straight edge because we're drinking beer here right now, but you have on your, uh, Instagram edge theorist. What is edge theorist? Oh man. Cause the other things listed on your Instagram, I could, I already knew what they were. So that's the one thing that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. I think it's, I think my Instagram list is King State, Under Oath, Carol Hood, and Edge Theorist, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, No one's ever asked me about that. Well, good. Now we got No one's ever even picked up on that. I thought people don't even look at that. So it is kind (laughs) of a – not an inside joke, but more of a nod to people that know, and that's it. Um, I'll try to make it brief. Go ahead. But uh, one of my really good friends, Joel Cook – uh, who I used to work with at a company called Rivals Group and Merchline, um, which is like the best merchandise and branding company for the music industries. Mm-hmm. Like I worked there actually while I was ending under oath, I was actually an employee at Merchline. They're based here in Florida as well, mm-hmm. which is another thing that's like Tampa has like the best service groups too in the arts industries. Yeah, they're, they're in a lot really of ways. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, you know, we did everything from like Skrillex merch to like under oath to everyone and now they've just taken off it's mm-hmm. it's amazing and our friend nate owns it um but long story short uh, my friend joel who used to work for mlb and nba and all did all their merch got hired at merch line so he and i were working together and we started this thing called rivals group and it was just this new kind of way of looking at the merchandise industry and 
he was talking to us, uh, talking to me at lunch or at a bar and he's brought it up a few times, but he basically had this whole theory of, you know, a lot of companies get boxed in and a lot of ideas get boxed in by like logic and ceiling. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm probably botching this. If you ever listen to this, he's gonna be so pissed, but basically like you have an idea. I want to start a podcast and like your job, Dave, as a podcast initiator out of thin air, mm-hmm. Lambgo should have a podcast, isn't what if we got like 15 followers and then 30 and then what if we had this band and this band? It's like, let's start all the way at the top. Let's go to the moon. I want to be Joe Rogan on crack. Right. What does Joe Rogan do wrong? I'm going to do everything Joe Rogan does right and I'm going to not do everything he does so wrong. basically get and an I'm, edge on everybody. I'm going to 5X him. Okay. You know, that's your goal, right? Mm-hmm. Your dream is like, whoa, what if we did this and then fixed all these things that all these people have wrong and then we did this. And then you kind of keep coming back from that top kind of like stratospheric ceiling <laughs> and just go, okay, when does this become attainable? Right. And I actually heard uh, a podcast with one of the guys who started Airbnb and that was a similar thing. Okay. He said, what does a 10-star experience look like even mm-hmm. though they're only maxed out at five stars? Right. And he was like, you know, 10 stars is you spend $200, you get my house for the night. And then Shaquille O'Neal wakes you up and makes you pancakes and your favorite supermodels there to give you a massage. Right, right. He's like, that's crazy. And then he kept working it down to like, so then what is the actual executable five star? And that's edge theory, mm-hmm. which okay. is just what is King State? You know, everyone that starts a coffee company buys a roaster, says, right. let's sell 20 pounds a week. What if we sold 30? Let's go to 40. Right. You and there's this like idea of incremental steps. Top, top rung to the bottom. No rung. coffee shop goes <laughs> – Let's start a roastery and then let's start a brewery and then let's buy a building and not have one location left right, right. yet. You know, like we're not even open yet and we're, we own real estate. We're brewing our own beer. We're roasting our own coffee. Yeah, everything's and already like, in place. Yeah. And even just two months ago, we got voted food and wines best coffee in Florida and oh, we're right. not even open. Right. That's good. Like they've only had it from like different shops and, and I don't say that to, to toot our own horns. But I think that's like a thing from an edge theorist perspective of like, what if you went all the way and we thought of crazy stuff? Like right. we want to own our own brewery and we want to be like Cigar City or we want to be like uh, whoever, McKellar and all these huge breweries that we love. And we want to be like Blue Bottle but then do this better than they do. And that's like the edge theory and then mm-hmm. you zoom it back down to like, but what can we do right now that's still beyond impactful and way past what a normal step-by-step process would be. And that's where we're at. Okay. So you buy the building, you take the risk, you're okay with the consequences, whether they work out or they don't yeah. and you go and that's how big shit happens. That's and exactly so, how you have to jump. So there's edge theory, a, a edge theory is just that idea. And my friend Joel, who then as an quote unquote fellow edge theorist, quit merch line, quit rivals and started a new branding agency called tension division with our friend, Brandon Wright mm-hmm. out of the blue, just like, we're going to go do this thing. What is it? I don't know how to explain it. It doesn't exist. What do you do? <laughs> I'll tell you when we do it. Yeah. And, uh, and under oath was their first client. Was that the one for the, uh, they did the marketing for your album? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then they went on to do smashing pumpkins. They worked with Trent Reznor on some stuff. They've done AFI. They've done, they just did the new angels and airwaves bear tooth like weezer mm-hmm. and in literally the year that our record's been out like 
year and a half, they've done all of those projects. That's crazy. And their concept didn't even exist. Yeah, that's crazy. 24 months ago. That's nuts. And so it's like this idea of just stop looking at other businesses and just going, well, how did they get there? I'm going to copy that and go follow that. It's like, let's go to the moon. Let's go to the edge and theorize what it could be and then back it off until it's something that we can actually afford or are willing to risk for. And then we'll start incrementally working till that edge theory is just reality. Yeah. That's interesting. That's yeah. an interesting concept. I mean, I, uh, yeah, you def- there's going to be a time and a place where you have to either make a jump or you don't. And if you let fear stand in the way, obviously it's going to not let you jump. But most people that, <laughs> I'm not going to say most people that jump, but the people that do jump yeah. are more successful later on down the line because they have that initiative to do so. I think it takes a lot to, you know, cast off the corporate nine to five type situation and then just do your own thing. So you being in a band and everything like that and already having somewhat of a means to do so may not have been super yeah. fearful, but a lot of people that, you know, they're aren't in that position that need to know that, you know, take a jump and it could work out. But yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, I probably botched that entire answer because I never thought that would be anything I ever got asked ever. And I've never answered that question in so my entire life. Straight edge. Okay. So you're great. Yeah. yeah. So great. you're great. Good. Uh, that, that was one of the best interview questions I've ever had. I'm going to text Joel as soon as we get done here. Yeah, good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and I think that's it, right? I mean, going back to like, even when we were talking about with under oath, it's like being in a band like ours, run the way ours is like you render yourself unemployable. Like yeah. I, I probably won't ever work for someone ever in my life. And it's not because I don't want to, or I'm too good for it. Or I think if you do, you're less than or greater than, or you have more strength than I do, or I have more risk than you do. Mm-hmm. It's not about being a risk taker, or risk averse or whatever that is. It's just, that's how I'm wired now. Yeah. Like we always do our thing. We've always been able to kind of like figure out what we want to do as a unit and have had a team behind us to allow us to tell us when we're insane (laughs) and reel us back, but also allow us to dream big and go for it. And somehow it keeps working out. And at a certain point, I think you're lucky on your first big hit or big go around or big year. Mm -hmm. But when that can continue to happen over 10, 15, 20 years, like, the luck idea starts running out and the logic idea starts coming into play way more. Yeah. You have to have both. I, yeah. You have to have and, a little bit of both for and, sure. And that's what I tell everyone. I think under oath and they're like, you know, my son wants to be like you guys and he's 13 and he plays guitar. Like any advice it's there. I don't have any. Yeah. You have to do what you love because we never thought we'd be anywhere. And the second we got somewhere, pure luck. Yeah. Like we wrote a record. We thought it was special. We were getting goosebumps in the studio when we wrote Chasing Safety. And I think every band does. Right. Because you wrote it. And you it's don't like glaring at yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. through your speakers. And you you think every artist thinks what they're doing is so unique or, and inventive or they wouldn't be doing it. Well, and also everyone in that room, so to speak, technically is going to have to – not have to like it. But they're more prone to like it because – they're all working with you on this project totally. and stuff. So. And then you get like demoitis and you get like <laughs> tunnel vision. And it's kind of that parenting thing of like, oh, my kid's the best kid ever. And yeah. then everyone outside's like, yo, your kid sucks, dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And you got to have some it, no men around it's you. It's that – exactly. And, and so you can yes man yourself into believing everything. But I think one thing that I will say is I think even when you're wrong and it's god awful, every artist believes – when they're writing their new record, when they say, I think it's done and it's ready to ship, 
it's the best they can do. Yeah. And I think they think it matters. Some records come out and it's like, this is garbage. Mm-hmm. And this band sucks. And it does not matter. You yeah. know? And I think, you know, even when you post this on Lamb Goat, there's going to be a bunch of people like, yeah, you're talking to yourself, yeah, asshole. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Whatever. And everyone's allowed to have their own opinion. But I think, you know, when we did that, we were, just like every other band, we we're like, we think this is special. And it was special to us. And then it comes out. And it magically becomes special to a lot of other people. Right. And that's the luck. Yeah. That's where, holy crap, like we thought we were going to release a record and just wanted to play two, 300 cap rooms and be the headliner one day instead of the support band. Right. And a year later, we're headlining 1500 cap rooms. Almost, yeah. 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 Literally everything. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where it's like, we didn't know how to handle it because that wasn't the goal. So when someone comes to me and says, dude, like, how do we get there? We don't even know how we got here. Yeah, and, and once we got there, I think that's when the thought and the awareness of just being okay with the fact that this is temporary and being okay with working hard at maximizing it while you're here kind of comes in. Yeah. And I think like, you know, yeah, that band had a great summer and then no one ever talked about them. That happens a lot. Yeah, there's people that pop Every on the summer. radio. Yeah. They have the biggest song ever. This this little Nas X or whatever yeah. country rapper, he's popping. He could easily be gone next year, 100%. or he could continue to be the next Post Malone. Yeah, based on someone or a lot of people in his team going, we have this opportunity. We hit dumb luck, but now we can actually like kind of steer our destiny because we have a little bit of power. Yeah, as long or as a little bit of like the following and everything. Correct. Like, so I think that's where I go as far as totally backing what you said. Every band is lucky to get there. And I think any band who's lasted more than 10 years is absolutely like not lucky to still be there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where luck and like work ethic and prowess and creativity and being able to continue to write things that are relevant change and they there's it's almost like a crossfade in pro tools where mm-hmm. it started and this was this was given to you and you're hustling over here and you saw that kind of bleed out and just clicks one day you know yeah. and, I, and i think that's the biggest thing is like yeah we were lucky like we had better luck than a lot of people i know and we also work way harder than most people I yeah. know right now. There's also a lot of that in so the it's background. Like, yeah. It's just one of those things where you got to put the time in. To you get have to be reward. okay with admitting that you got here by chance, which allows you to be okay with admitting like, but you, you stayed here because you busted your ass for it. Yeah. And it's just a, it's a, it's a blended thing and it's never one or the other. Yeah. It's always a blend. Well, that kind of segues us off of the cigar city, off of uh, King street, King state. King Street, Tim McToong. <laughs> yeah, Tim McToong. That's the new one. Has one beer. That, yeah. Well, it's yeah, powerful, it's, right? It's, yeah, it's one beer. There's two of these, I guess, <laughs> right? I had like an eight ounce Coke can of them. But, uh, so let's transition over to like the music side and under oath and everything like that. Um, cause there were some other things that I did some research on with you recently. You, you did some, um, like YouTube, like play the riffs for play, play under oath riffs. Oh yeah. With AP. Yeah. And, uh, so that kind of got me curious about like your musical background because, um, I'm not a guitar whiz by any means, but you kind of, I don't want to say it wrong, but 
music theory isn't like your forte for the most part, right? Like, oh no, you could say it right. Okay, I don't know anything about music. Well, yeah. So how do you how how did you get into music and how did you decide to pick up the guitar? And did you never um, when you say you're not you don't have a music theory? Like, what exactly is that? Like, because you know how to play the guitar, but you just can't tell anyone how else to play the guitar. Or no, I don't think I actually know how to play the guitar. Honestly, do you know like I don't I don't even want to I'm not even super well versed. Ask me in anything. It, so, like chords and everything like that. You know chords. Yep, almost, almost. So I mean, how does it work for you? Like in, in standard, I can play like an A <laughs> and an A minor. Okay. Um. So there's hope for me. But okay. I know, yeah, I, I know notes. Okay. Like fret one through eleven are different notes, and then twelve it starts over in an octave. So it's like self-taught for the most part or? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So we have when Like no theory. I don't know. Like if you said, yo, we're playing an A minor. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to do a one, five, three progression and we're going to switch to four, three, two or whatever. Like there's a number system that I don't know. And there's keys that I don't know. Right. So like time signatures and all that. I know stuff. time signatures okay. really well. Okay. I think, but then everyone tells me I don't. But then when they tell it to me back, I'm like, no, that's exactly what I said. I you just, just said it a different it way. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Because I don't – I mean, I, we probably have the same – No, like I'll theory. say like, you know, something's in 7, 7-8, seven, which you know what that is, right? Yeah, the time signature. Yeah, so 1, 2, 3, mm-hmm. 4, 5, 6, 7, 1. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go, no, that's actually 14, 16. I'll be like, why? Because the way the riff starts <laughs> – it doesn't resolve until the second measure or the second bar or whatever mm-hmm. the crap. And yeah, like, so it's two bars. Dog, if you can count to seven as many times as you want and start it over, then it's in seven to me. Yeah, it could be in twenty-one eight. freaking thirty-eight for all I care. Yeah, but it's seven. Interesting. Is that three four? No, it's six eight. Why? <laughs> Who cares? I don't know the difference. You don't get. You don't know if, the specifics. If you can count to three and keep time, that's in three, and I know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm right. So in that like theoretical mind, like the theory and the logic behind music and where you can go and where you can't go, I have zero clue. That could be a good thing. Like or a bad I thing. could not like I couldn't I probably couldn't fill in for many bands without like a good three or four days of practice. <laughs> and if they sent me tabs, I'd just delete them and just play it by ear because I don't know what those tabs. So are. you better by ear then? Like if like you can hear one hundred percent. I write get- everything by ear. So you hear like chords, you may not know what they are, but you know like, oh, I can play that doing this on my guitar. Yeah, like if Aaron or Spencer send me like a song and they're like, yo, I have this demo and it's like rhythms, like play stuff on it. Or I need a bridge. I could pull that into Pro Tools and like draw stuff in and like hear it. And like once I find like one or two notes, I'm like, oh, it's this box. Okay. And then like our stage manager in front of house guy, JJ – is like brilliant. Like he knows like Nash, I think it's called Nashville scale mm-hmm. and like jazz scales. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, you're doing the suspended, whatever this and the other. Suspended seven. And he's like, seven. I'm like, what, is, you know, I don't know what that is, but he's like, you're doing it all right. And I'm like, I know that's how I've been doing it for 19 years. It sounds <laughs> right. Right. He's uh-huh. like, it sounds right. Yeah. You're, you're doing it right. How did you get there? And I'm like, I just moved my hand until it felt right. Yeah. And then once I get to this spot, I know that I can move around to here around and here that. and here. Yeah, yeah. So I have my own boxes and I have my own theory. 
so it's not like I just wing it and I'm like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not claiming to be like a weird, like Ray Virtual Charles so genius. Yeah, like yeah. I can't see anything, but somehow my fingers hit the right notes. I, I think it's the opposite of just, again, I worked really, really hard at something I wasn't naturally gifted at, nor had the financial means or the mental mm-hmm. patience to learn. And now I'm just pretty, pretty good at something that people that know a lot more than me go, why are you that good? <laughs> right, right. And, and, and I'm just like, I, I didn't know I was that good. I'm just writing music and what, cause it's different for us because nobody in under oath knows any type of theory except for Aaron. Really? Yes. I would Aaron, Chris knows Aaron is the, the only naturally talented musician in under oath. Is he trained in any way? No. Okay. Fully self-taught. Wow. But fully dove in. Like he started playing music when he was like 10, 11 years old. Interesting. I didn't even get my first guitar till I was 15. And then like, two years later, you're, dude, you're in the band. Like literally Grant, no theory. James, no theory. Chris, no theory. Wow. That's crazy. Spencer, no theory. Like self-taught everything. And like we're just average. Like everyone in our band's average. But when your powers combine... No, I genuinely believe that. Yeah, like, I mean, no, we, like, there's like, cause I, I think about even like Lamb Goat and whatever everyone at Lamb Goat listens to or whatever, but like we've toured with like Animals as Leaders mm-hmm. and Between the Buried and Oh, me. you've got a long list and, of other and, bands. You know, we've got these bands that are like fucking geniuses <laughs> and they're just like, Tosin's like, yeah, man, I got this seven, eight string that like I have this drop pedal and then I switch to a suspended whatever. And then he's like, yeah, and then Javi, and then this guy, and then this guy, and like, they all know what they're doing, and they're playing polyrhythms and shit, and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. You just take your head and like, all of us get in a room, and I'm like, no, Aaron, like, do this, and they're like, dot, 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 and then someone will come in, like, dude, why are you doing that seven, eight polyrhythm? That sounds sick. And I'm like, don't even know what that is. Sounds cool in my head, But it's like, it's this idea of like, we don't know what we're doing. And if we do something that sounds super technical and super cool, fully on accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's not like we're some weird protege and it's not like we're idiots. It's just the truth. Yeah, was- we work really hard at waiting until it sounds right in our brains. And then someone goes, dude, that polyrhythm over the four, over the seven, revolving around this, whatever that mm-hmm. means. They're like, that is really, really inventive. And I'm just yeah. like, I don't know what that is that- or whatever it could be. And that's a made up story, <laughs> you know, that is, it's crazy. Cause when, I don't know if that was like super public knowledge prior to that video. Cause if it wasn't, I just didn't pay attention to it. But when I heard that, I, that really blew me away just because, you know, hearing you guys over the years, it just seems so different in general. And so when I heard that, I wondered, does that affect your, I mean, obviously it now it affects your, uh, your style and like the band's overall sound too. I'm assuming because it, it's just so unique in a way that you're like the timing and the, 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 the progressions you guys have and stuff like that. The, the under oath sound, you know, it's very noticeable for th- throughout the genre, you know? Cool. Yeah. I mean, is it ever a hindrance? Like, is it, ever I wouldn't know. <laughs> I, I would argue it's like seeing, like I was watching a, uh, I was, I think I was on Instagram or online somewhere and I saw this blind dude skateboarding. Mm, yeah, I think I've seen that video. And it's like crazy. this dude was like doing like 
you know, pop shove it and like kick flip to stalls on like curbs with like a, 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 a seeing stick. Yeah. So, yeah. I did see that. And it's, crazy. It's, it's kind of that vibe of like, well, could you have done a double kick flip if you could see? It's like, I don't know. Like I can't. I might, I, I'm I only, might. I'm only using the abilities that I have. Mm-hmm. And I obviously that's not a one to one thing because I could actually learn more. And it's like, yeah, of course, if a guy that can't see can do that, what if he could see? But as an analogy, it's kind of one of those things like I don't know if I would have at 15 went to school, went to Berkeley, learned music theory, learned jazz, learned pentatonic scales and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. If under us music would be better or worse, it might be more technically right, but I don't think it'd be better right but i don't know maybe we're the biggest travesty in music because none of us study theory it just had to and work. we just pick around until we find something yeah. dope but i i mean i look at it as just like every and i don't mean to get too jewish in the sense of like in the jewish culture you have like your rabbi and like people follow you mm-hmm. and like if this is my rabbi like us three follow him and like whatever he says we do mm-hmm. and it's like but I think music's a lot like that. And like the people that like I think I looked up to and followed as kind of my mentors or my rabbis in music were like Ross Robinson, Rick okay. Rubin. Yeah. Uh, these people that cared more about how the thing coming out of the speakers with the air felt than going, was it played on time and was it in key? And yeah. like at the drive in Glassjaw, all these bands yeah. and like Dudes from at the driving in glass are ripper players. Mm-hmm. They probably listen to this podcast. And go, you are not anything like me, you asshole. You're just a fucking clown. Hey, well, glass and I'm okay with on, that. They can. But like, but I think listening to their records and how they're produced, and you know, looking at Ross Robinson, looking at Rick Rubin, going, dude, I don't care about replaced drums. I don't care about hyper mastered heavy shit. I care about when I blast this in my car. Does it make me cry, or do I give a shit? Yeah. And like, that's all I care about in music is like, does it make, does it move you or does it not? Yeah. And like, that's all that matters to me. And like, it could sound like crap. I could be playing a wrong key and someone can go, that's not allowed in music. And I'm like, it is now because yeah, that makes me yeah. go, wow, that's it. Right. So it's like, I've always been a little afraid of learning too much. To where I lose that, that. Sort of, yeah, yeah. I would assume so. You know, it seems I, like I it almost works really well. You know, it might. You know, and, and a lot for of you pe- guys, I should say, not in general. But I, you I, guys, think I think so. I think it works for a lot of people. I think like a lot of people that you know get into new fields that have been dominated by a certain way of thinking. It's like even if it's not better, it's just different and fresh. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't want the same. And if I follow in the same way and I do a Kirk Hammett solo like Kirk Hammett and like <laughs> we do this and like yeah. there's blueprints for every type of music. And I think that if you follow that to a degree, you're doing something safe and you're doing something technically right. And there's a very high likelihood that no one's going to care. Yeah. You have to get out of your comfort zone. So if you push the envelope and out of your comfort zone, that's where growth is really, you know, yeah, that's where, that's where it comes from. And it, and I think even that like, is tainted by the fact that like when we started writing music that way, there was not a thought of, will people care about this? Mm-hmm. You know, will they buy the next record? Will they come to the yeah. next Kansas city show or LA show? Cause we weren't anyone like, this is like the raw DNA of how under has been. And I think it's been less on trying to get that way and more just trying to preserve that way, but also be open to 
people that are better than us in certain areas going, but what if they could help the song get a little bit cooler right? or a little bit tighter or a little bit more structured? So I think that's always going to be a, a creative battle between us. But I think our goal is just, can we maintain that raw, unfiltered, non-pasteurized energy and creativity but then also like somehow compartmentalize that and harness it into a song that makes complete sense. Right. And I think some of our old songs don't make sense. Well, we can get all into that. Uh, so now that we're transitioning over to the band, um, you guys released Erase Me. That's the last one that you released. Was it last year, 2018? Yeah, April 2018. Okay. April 6th. Um, yeah. Since then, you guys have toured with and you're going to tour with a couple other bands outside of your normal wheelhouse or, you know, uh, the standard scene wheelhouse bands like Alice in Chains, Corn, and like Breaking Bad. You did the Breaking, Breaking Bad. Breaking Benjamin. Breaking Benjamin. Tour. Yeah. Yeah. Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. I, I would watched, love to yeah. tour with Walter White. Hey, that'd be dope. I wonder what they, what they would sound like, you know? Yeah. But, um, do you, how do those crowds react for the most part to just Under Oath in general? And would they have reacted differently prior to the new record? being out or do you think it'd be better or worse i don't know i mean that's kind of like that weird chicken or the egg yeah and almost like if you would have started learning theory when you were 17 instead of not it's like i think i mean i've only done one of those tours right so like corn and allison chains is in a month from yeah scheduled breaking benjamin we went in going we don't know how this is gonna go like breaking benjamin's like a straight up like Rock band. Straight or, down or, the middle yeah, rock yeah. band. Like F-250. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. America. Three doors down, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, And not to say there's anything wrong with that, but we definitely know that's not us. Right. And we were like, we don't know if we're going to get booed off stage. If people are going to look at us like, you guys are crazy. And the two things I took away from that tour were the people that came to the shows didn't know us <laughs> at all. Right. And by the end of every show – they were like okay with it. Like they were raising mm-hmm. their hands, they were doing their thing. They they went from like, who is this? Not that bad. I think I get it. Oh, I get it. Right. And then the people that were like, Yep, I'm in, just kinda it's- went. And the Breaking Benjamin guys going, What are those kind of guys look like? You know, like what do they look like? What do they sound like? Like what are their voices who is off band? stage? Yeah. Like, yeah, who are they? Are they nice? Like honestly, Breaking Benjamin the group of guys, one of the sweetest group of guys I've ever toured with. Oh yeah, I'm sure a lot of the bands. I mean, I, like Nickelback. Nickelback probably a great people uh, band too. But you maybe, know, no, I don't like, know. I don't want to talk out of turn, but but like, but no. But I, I think like it was interesting because I walked away from that tour going in with so many like potential hesitations and fears, but their fans welcomed us to the extent that is artistically possible right. <laughs> with the polar opposites of what we are. And the band was so accommodating. Like they literally said like, yo, we should do it again. And we were like, dude, sign us up. Yeah. Anytime. I do another tour with breaking Benjamin tomorrow. Well, it's also fact. like fact. They, and it's like, they, they have a bigger draw too. And it that's doesn't make for sense. You guys, you know, but it a, does, you, you, you know, grow your audience too. Cause like you said, no one basically knew who you were. Correct. And I'm sure a lot of those people, Went home and like Googled under oath and like, oh totally. my God, they've been in a band for 20 years. You sure. know what I'm saying? That blew their mind. But, uh, what's the biggest difference between those crowds and like your standard crowd that you're used to? 
I mean, everything. Um, <laughs> I mean, when we headline, it's our crowd, like from note one till note end. It's, it's a, it feels like you're with a family member that you've known for a long time mm-hmm. versus like just bumping into someone at a bar and going, are you cool? And then an hour after like three drinks going, wow, that person's oh, yeah, rad. Cool. I'll get yeah, your yeah. number. We'll, we'll meet again soon. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like we've been touring and headlining for so long. It's like when we do a show in LA or Atlanta or Dallas or anywhere, it's like chances are everyone in, in here has at least seen us once and we're kind of past that awkward first date phase. And we all know what to expect. They're excited because they know what they're going to get from us. We're so pumped because we know what we're going to get from them. Mm-hmm. And when you're supporting, whether it be Breaking Benjamin, Corn and Alice and Chains is probably going to be the same thing. Maybe yeah. even worse. Yeah, I would assume so. They're older bands. Yeah. And their fans are super diehard. And we're probably just the dumb assholes that they have to listen to right. to get to the band they want to see. I feel you on that. And we're super grateful to be on that tour. And I'm so stoked to play in front of people. And like when I turn around and there's five or 10 or 20,000 people looking at me like I'm an idiot, like that just switches in my brain and everything just goes. Yeah. And it's just like me and Aaron will look at each other like, screw it. it. Yeah. Let's just freaking <laughs> rip. Yeah. Like let's leave everything out here and just. If no one gets it, who cares? Yeah. Well, you guys like, put on a good show. Like, we're freaking here. Yeah. Like, we are on this stage in front of all these people, and it doesn't matter what anyone's doing out there. Like, you and I are going to have the best time tonight. Mm-hmm. And everyone that can see it will see it and connect. Yeah. And if everyone here just doesn't want to connect, there's nothing we can do about it. So let's just rip. Yeah. You know? And so it's this weird dynamic of, like, it's a challenge. It's enjoyable. And it's kind of in between. The only time it becomes unenjoyable is when you walk out going, why didn't they sing with me? You know, (laughs) I raised my hand and no one did. It's like, well, dude, no one here knows us. Yeah, exactly. You know? And it's like, you know, we'll go and Spencer will be like, what's up? And I'll be like, yeah. And everyone will be like, and I'll be like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) you can't get mad at that. You just go, oh, cool. Like, you could give a shit about us. Yeah, it is what it is. But we're still going to go. 110 in the paint right now. Yeah, you might like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Tonight. So let's keep going with the, the new record race me. Recently we had Mark of, uh, Vale of Maya on and he said that, cause he, they went on tour with you guys. Yep. And one of the things that they, he mentioned was, cause I think we brought up, um, how your fans took the new record, like how they interacted with it live. Yep. Like for those shows. And, uh, he kind of he kind of claimed that a lot of the older Under Oath fans were more of like they wanted a nostalgic kind of Under Oath situation to where like you guys hadn't been around for a couple of years and yep. this is your first album back. And uh, when he said that, it it really made me think because I too was like I wanted the nostalgic Under Oath when you guys would come sure. back. And the first single you released was Borderline, Borderline like that, but the entire album was different, obviously. Sure. Um. So my question to you is uh. Wait, hold on. <laughs> it's the first time you guys use pre-production too for that for your recording process. Sure. How much did that affect the outcome of the album as opposed to the ones that you've done without pre-production? Um, it did affected like a, did it a have lot. An effect on that, yeah. Like I think what's interesting to me is like the pre-production aspect of the record resulted in. The cooler songs, mm-hmm. like On My Teeth, the song we yeah. led with as the lead single, No Frame, 
which is like a weird, like abstract, mm-hmm. like Nine Inch Nails radio heady song. Um, we wrote I Gave Up, the, the record ender, which is like a piano-y song that gets really heavy at the end. Like there were so many songs that were written in the studio because we had pre-production. And I, it, it's funny because I, I, I guess the easiest way to say it honestly is I understand every single diehard fans problem with our new record. I get it. Mm-hmm. Like I love the national. I love Radiohead. I love Jay Z. I love everyone. I love whatever Tyler, the creator. Mm-hmm. He just dropped Igor. Yeah. It's like not rapping on it at all. Mm-hmm. Everyone's it's like, way what different. the fuck way Tyler? Yeah. Like, you know, I get that. Like, I don't like you because I think that you're a genius and I want to go down any acid trip journey you decide to take me on. I like your band because you wrote three records that sound like your band and right. that's why I buy your records and I want what I paid for or what I signed up for, which is Under Oath sounds like this right. and it's a box and I want that box to be intact when I p- press play on your new fucking song. Don't. Don't mess with my emotions. Right, right, right. You know? So I get that. The flip side is, like, what that's gonna never going to happen. Yeah. And, and, and with this band, it's never going to happen. Um, on top of the fact that, like, when we started writing this record, everyone was doing so many different things. Like, Spencer was doing Sleepwave. Aaron was doing, like, his country, like, stuff. And then kind of was doing Paramore and me and Nate and Reed were doing Carolhood and Chris was doing scoring and nobody was thinking about Under Oath mm-hmm. for three years. So when we came back, it's like, what do you want to write? It's like, oh, I have this song and it sounds like your other band. Right, right, I have right. this song. It sounds like your other band. I have this song. It sounds like my band. That's not Under Oath, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like we had to figure out a way to fuse and bridge those gaps. And was what's interesting is I feel like a lot of people heard like, the singles, you know, Wake Me or Rapture. And they're like, dude, like <laughs> pre-production, like new label, like they're pussies. They sold out. Dude, those songs were written before we went in the studio. Oh, wow. Those came in with us. So not everything. The was songs the that everyone's like, why isn't, why aren't they like their old shit? Like this shit, like no frame and, you know, on my teeth. We wrote that in the studio. Yeah, that's crazy. That's the freshest shit we have. Mm-hmm. Like that's the freshest shit we have. That's, that's, that's interesting. So it's like, it's interesting because like Rapture and Wake Me and I hate it. Rapture and Wake Me were like demos that Spencer had from a project that he was going to do not in Under Oath. Mm-hmm. Like he was going to go do a singer songwriter thing and those were his songs. And when we started doing on earth record, he's like, well, I have all these demos. <laughs> and we were like, Oh, let's try to take those and like integrate the them dots, in. And like, yeah. yeah. So it's funny because I think the fact that we did pre-production, the fact that, that we didn't go with our old producer, the fact that we spent longer on any record than we ever have mm-hmm. is like translating to oh, there's a big shift in artistic like direction and it must have been this. When in reality, they're like, yeah, I hate the, you know, like the diehard under the fans. Right, right. You know, <laughs> yeah. they hate hardcore. They hate rock. They hate everything. They just hate, they just want this like 10% laser level vision of what yeah. they think we are. All the songs they 
site are stuff that we wrote organically in under four weeks in the studio before we started recording the record. Interesting. That's actually pretty cool. So it's interesting to go, man, like we're still the same band. We just had three years of other material that we were writing for other stuff. And you're growing as a person. And we're growing as people. Yeah. And, I, and that's not to say those songs are bad. That's not to say they're great. That's not to say that they're the best or the worst. It's just that's a true biopsy if you want to have a look under the hood and like surgically cut under oath open. Like all of our singles that we have right now that people are like, oh, man, why is it so this? Those were written before we even stepped in the studio. Yeah. Nothing cool. changed. I, yeah, I didn't even know like that. Like the, the weird shit. That per, like personally as an artist, I enjoy the most mm-hmm. was written like organically, like midnight. Aaron's drunk. We're watching Nine Inch Nails videos with March of the Pigs and all this crazy yeah. shit. And he's like, "No, dude, like let me in that room." And literally <laughs> starts writing the beat for "On My Teeth." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. You know, and it's like all of a sudden we're like, "Oh, what if we did like this Marilyn Manson like band?" It's, it's interesting, like, and you guys take on those sounds. And then it too, literally, you know? like, riffed. Yeah. It was, I, we were literally watching Nine Inch Nails videos, <laughs> wishing that we were Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. And then Aaron's like, I have a beat just like that in my brain, but it's weird, and I don't think I can play it because I've been drinking all night. You went in there and fucking ripped it. Nice. That's and then it's like, we had this Marilyn Manson NIN vibe of like, like, super industrial. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that definitely has a And all feel. of a sudden, like the next day, we're writing the song. And we're like, what the hell is this song? We already had like 14 demos. <laughs> now we're writing this song? Right. Because we got on like some crazy ass kick because we ripped a few beers and opened up a bottle of wine and started watching our favorite music videos. Mm-hmm. And like now that song's here. It became the lead single. Yeah. So it's like the creative ideas of Under Oath are just as intact as always. It's just we had so much artistic constipation backed up that everything kind of like came out. And I don't, I honestly don't think we're going to write another record like Erase Me. Mm-hmm. If we, if we do another record, it will not be like Erase Me. Like Erase Me was an obvious point in time as all of our records have been. We've never repeated ourselves. Why we start now? Right. But like, I think we're already way past some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like way past. Yeah. You know what I mean? hundred percent. Like there's songs like I hate it and things like that that are like, those are great songs. My fear is that my, my biggest thing with creativity and, and being original is that if I could hear another band play this exact song note for note and believe that it's their band too, I don't want it on our record. Yeah. Like I hate it could be sang by five other rock bands that are on the radio and I believe that it's their original song too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't enjoy that as an artist, but I also understand that some people like that kind of music. Mm-hmm. Like in our band. Yeah, like there's exactly. dudes that are like, yo, if we're all like partners, like I really like that song. And my whole thing is like, I don't hate it. It's a democracy though. It's just Exactly. Yeah. It's not my first choice, but I don't hate it. So if you fucking love this song and it like speaks to you, like let's rip it. Let's explore that avenue. And let's like push it. Yeah. Like let's put that breakdown that's in that song I hate it and let's <laughs> we got to fuck it up. Get a, get, it will make not a common ground. We cannot let it go like this. I will I, we can't. My brain will not let a song I can't let a song go like that. Mm-hmm. But like 
if it's a song that's not as exciting as I personally would like, but we can add a little, you know, something to keep like you a interested in it. that makes yeah. me go, Ooh, I'm feeling that. Like, that's great. I love that. And like, we can do a timid song. We can do a piano song. We can do anything as long as it's got a little bit of like edge and a little right. bit of fuck you. And if there's like a fuck you moment in a song, I'm in. Dope. And yeah, I, yeah. I prefer songs that are just middle fingers right, all the right. way out, right? Those seem to be like the, the most, the, the ones that stick out the most, I think. Although you guys do have like, uh, some, a lot of your, not a lot, but some of your ending songs are, are like that piano based kind of, uh, kind of tune, which is a good closing out, I think, for those records. You know, like you had the one in Lost in the Separate, or Lost in the Sound. Sure. And you had a couple other ones that were just very like, you know, building like they build uh, just like you said the other one uh the one on the erase me does um and those are always really good really good songs too i mean with the whole picture, yeah when you look at the whole record as a whole you know what i mean totally it's a great way to end it i appreciate that um given under oath i'm gonna try to rip through these questions because we're running along but yeah that's, 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 got, all, that's my run in a second um, i don't mean to cut you off but Given Under Oath's history with Tooth and Nail and Solid State, why was Erase Me released uh, through Fearless? Was it like contracts being filled or was it just the, I hate to say like lack of Christianity in the band, but obviously you guys, some of you steered away from that, you know, growing. So I just didn't know if uh, yeah. that had anything to play with it or. No, I mean, it wasn't a faith thing at all. I mean, Tooth and Nail's never really been a faith based label. I mean, they're a Christian label in the sense that all their bands are Christian, but mm-hmm. they, it's never like a thing of like, if you sign a tooth and nail, you have to believe this and we think this way. And do you pray? It, it's not like that. Um, for us, it was just simple of, it, it was as simple as like tooth and nail has been with us through our whole career. Our contracts are filled. Mm-hmm. Like we're done with them. We're done with everyone. Um, if we're going to get back, like, let's try something new. Yeah. And it's like, we know what we're going to get with tooth and nail. They always deliver to the caliber in, in which they deliver. And that I have nothing bad to say about that label. I think Brandon, I think Chad, I think all the people that did work there that don't and that still work there, like, are amazing people. I, for us, we just wanted something different and Fearless really fit that bill. They were the only other label that came in and we thought, man, this feels a lot like tooth and nail in the early days, but also like fresh enough to where it's like, Let's take a risk on this and see what happens. Oh, cool. Um, I'm a two and, and they've been question. amazing, by the way. Yeah. So it seems the risk paid off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it seems to be working out very um, well. Yeah. I mean, they just like Jenny, Bob, all those people over there, like amazing people. I just wasn't cur- I, I was and curious if it was like a contract so thing or nope. if it was like, you know, uh, you kind no. of like veered from that whole life, you know, of the Christianity. Totally. Type thing. Actually. We weren't done with our contract. We had to work on not doing the record with Tooth and Nail. Okay. But Fearless came in and helped with that. Oh, yeah. oh Now that I think about it, that was literally three years ago. But Yeah, yeah it was a while ago because you guys came back, obviously. Yep. But um, this next one is two-parters. With uh, Was there ever a point in your music career where you thought, oh, I've, I've made it? Because uh, you do have like gold records. You have Grammy nominations and stuff. But also, you've worked a full-time job while you were in Under Oath, uh, which seems surprising because you do have the two gold records. So, yeah. Um, was there ever a point where you were like, yeah, I've made it? Oh, I, I, I've been made it, baby. <laughs> yeah. Was it the nominations or the gold record or was it just no, like being just in the like, band and touring? 
It's the same. I, I mean, I feel like I've answered that question and not, we were joking about like right. crappy interview questions you get. Um, I had one good and one. And this isn't one of those, but it's funny because I was just about to preface, like I've said this multiple times in the last 10, 15 years, but like my goal for Under Oath, like my personal goal, like what I wanted to achieve by being in a band called Under Oath mm-hmm. was just to headline a show. Like there's a venue. 45 minutes that way called state theater. And we played there once and we opened to 200 people holds like six, five fifty to 700, depending on who's owning it and how the balconies it's an old fire theater, marshal. Yeah. yeah. So it was about five to 750 cap room. Um, and all I wanted to do was headline that. And like one day we headlined it and then one day we headlined it and sold it out. And that's kind of when it became like, all of our dreams are coming true. Like we're right. doing it, yeah. you know, that's cool. So and then like you, you get signed to a label in Seattle and you put out a record chasing safety. You put it out middle of June on your way to warp tour and you end warp tour at the end of August and everything's different. Yeah. And you're playing in front of thousands of people. Like that wasn't part of the plan. That wasn't a goal. That wasn't even a dream. Yeah. Like the second that happened, we made it. All this other crap, just extra like yeah. Funds, oh, hey, stuff. do you want to go on tour with Corn and Allison Chains? Like, are you kidding me? Of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, dude, yeah. I mean, and that's just a drop in the bucket. Just not even no. The opposite, like that's just icing on the cake. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost like if you're sick and you think you're gonna die, <laughs> and you're like, the doctor says you have five five weeks left. And you, you're here for five years. Like, so what do you want to do? What's your goals for the next five years? Like, dude, I'm on, you know, whatever. I've Four years and yeah. 51 weeks, baby. <laughs> it's borrowed time. Like, the fact that I got up and I'm chilling is amazing. Yeah. But I, I honestly believe that. Like, oh. the fact that we get to go, like, you know, write music whenever we want and record music and tour. Like, yeah, we don't have anything to make. Mm-hmm. Like, we've made it. We made it 15 years ago. Yeah, well, that's interesting. And I don't mean made it like... I'm driving up in a Lambo. Right, right. You've made it personally. No, yeah, personal dude, goals are all like, set and everything like that. Music should be music and art's art. And if you think music's art, then like, come on, man. Yeah. Let's not I, get it twisted. I agree. I agree. You know, like do dope shit. And if you can make a lot of money doing it, good for you. But don't make a lot of money doing stupid shit. Right. And like, that's how I view music. Yeah, and it's like, a good way to look at it. I'd rather just not do stuff that I think sucks. <laughs> Just to make more money. Like, yeah. I'd, and that's why I work. Like, I'd rather work and realize when I work for someone or work at something that's a business thing, I know what to expect and it's to be able to provide for my family. Yeah. When I'm in under oath, I don't want to be thinking about, we got to write something that's going to sell out this show because I need Christmas presents. Right, like, right, right. I refuse to think about under oath through that lens. It's good. It's good to have that more so like I, – I hate to say like hobby, but more like a fun thing to look forward to rather than like a job. Dude, people – the biggest under us ever been was when they loved a band that literally did whatever they wanted and didn't think about business at all. Yeah. Why would we change that? Yeah. And, and it's hard to. And to, to say that we think about business as little as we did in 2004 <laughs> writing Chasing Safety or 06 when we were writing Find the Great Line would be a lie. Yeah. Like we do – we run a business now. We didn't know we were going to get handed a business, but we have one. Yeah. I think but a lot of like, people are thinking about like that. But the ethos is when it comes to creative, let's run it least like a business possible. And then once we're done with creative that we love, let's give it to the business people and tell them 
It's your turn to try to make this sustainable. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to give you what you need to make it sustainable. Interesting. If, yeah. if the label says Miley Cyrus needs to come in and sing this one hook in this one song and it's going to change your life forever, if we don't like it, we're not going to do it. On the flip side, if we love Miley Cyrus but know all of the other people that like our band are going to think we're assholes, we'll still, still do, do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so like – Honestly, like creatively, everyone can literally go to hell mm-hmm. except for that trusted circle of people. Yeah, the dudes in the, the and dudes learning in that room. to just go. Your view of creative genius is different than mine, Dave. You like acoustic guitars. I hate acoustic guitars. Feel you on Let's that. do an acoustic guitar song, <laughs> but let me jack it up enough to where I can sleep at night. Yeah, and then it'll be on our record. Right. That's how it should go, and that's how erasing was made. Is like there's not one brick wall of DNA. That you have to go through. It's everyone throw everything they want at it. And even if it's not dope to one person or two or three people, let's make it dope and make it as dope as we can. And also honor the fact that this dude and this guy over here are freaking on this shit. Mm-hmm. And this is their band too. Right. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And if you as a fan don't like it, if you as a label don't like it, if you as a streamer don't like it, you don't have to like it. And we're not asked, we're not trying to convince you. And we're also not trying to get shit on for it either. Right. We're just doing what we want to do. And if you don't like our band, you don't have to listen to it and you don't have to come to a show. There's a bunch of other stuff. And if to you do to. like our band, please come to a show and maybe you'll like a song that you didn't think you liked on the record. Cause when you see it live, it's different. Yeah. And it's all it, that, that chaos that we live in as artists is really exciting to me. Yeah. Well, it's also and like, it's like ETID gets the same shit. Like he started singing a lot and like there's, all these bands that keep doing rad stuff and everyone's like, fuck that. It's not like the old whatever. Again, it's the nostalgic thing. And it's like, thing. dog, yeah. this new stuff is so much better than everything that you think is like the bar for this band. Mm-hmm. And you're stuck with beer goggles on. Mm-hmm. Like, let it ride and just let this band grow. Yeah. And they might grow out of you or you might grow out of them. Yeah. And that's just okay. Well, I mean – with with your band specifically, I definitely have like uh I remember when Chasing Safety came out in like two thousand and four or whatever. It was right before Hellfest. And uh I was I remember this thought because I was a I was a fan of you guys then with the uh changing of the times. Um I remember when that record came out, I was like, I don't know how the crowd will take you guys at Hellfest because yeah. like, you know, it was the, the big chorusy parts with the drowning my sleep and sure. there's like a different sound playing in front of like norma Jean and converge on right. like bless the martyr cycle right. and all that stuff <laughs> so here we are we're at the rexplex or whatever in 2004 yeah. and to this day there's the when that line uh the drowning my sleep line came on i was way in the back just standing on it was like the soccer fields i don't know if you remember that yeah like indoor soccer field. no i do uh, there was two indoor soccer fields i remember like i was in the middle standing on one of these little things that separated the soccer fields and at that moment Everyone sang that part, like everyone sang the drowning my sleep part for mm. for the for that song, and I remember thinking like, "Holy shit, everyone is on board." And then it just stuck in my head as one of those moments where, not that I was worried for you guys or anything like that, but I was just like, "I wonder how the crowd will react to all that." Yeah. And then they just took it in with open arms. So that was actually pretty cool. It's always stuck in my head as like memorable yeah. concert moments, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, ev- everyone's been worried about our band since our band existed. <laughs> well, they need to. And you know, somehow it, it always kind of works out. It's yeah, okay. It does. Um, I will gloss over the 
breakup because you've already you guys have talked about that and yeah we should i actually do i I don't mean to be no problem short short the only thing was really one more question carolhood stuff oh yeah i mean if you want to plug your carolhood thing i don't mind i mean i don't want to plug it but i don't i know talking about it (laughs) well i got nothing to plug baby and then you have reed from say anything yeah yeah yeah. what do you what do you do normally in the band because i know they're both drummers on their prospective bands that they were in but do you play guitar? Or, or? Yeah, so Reed, uh, Reed's the keyboard player. Um, so everyone writes songs. Okay. So Reed writes songs fully autonomous. Nate writes songs fully autonomous, and so do I. And it's nothing like. Has nothing. No. Like under oath or no, anything like that. It's, it's called Carol Hood. C a r r o l l h o o d. Is that like a Carol Wood? Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's bigger. Yeah, show. where we all live. Yeah. Um, funny. Uh, which, which started out as a joke because we never thought we'd do anything. And then when we did it. We still called it that. It's just nobody can say it right and it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. But, uh, that band is more like a, you kind of said like the faint and the it, national shit. No, earlier. it's like more electronic. Like, yeah, it's like electronic indie Since stuff. Indie, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like my role, uh, we all sing. All three of us sing all the time. Um, self-titled, the last record we put out, I sang a, a lot more. Um, but yeah, I play guitar. Uh, we have no bass player. We do all synth bass. Okay. Um, and Nate plays drums and then Reed does a lot of vocals and keyboards and stuff like what that. What are the plans for that going forward? Is that like a thing or is it just like a, not a really. It's a, it's a hobby. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we thought about trying to like put it to a label or maybe recording a record, but man, I just, I think bands are so sick when money and business isn't involved. I feel you. I like Carol Hood's like the funnest band to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's so fun. Do you guys play locally band. around here or at all? Yeah, or? we've only played uh four shows ever, five shows ever, uh in like six years. Oh wow! And they're always like <laughs> hometown shows or like we did one three three weekend or three day weekend run with Acceptance, which is Christian from Amberlynn. So mm-hmm. it was like all of our homies. Nice. Um, but yeah, like we just want that thing to be fun. Carol Hood's a party all the time. And it's like when it's, again, creative time, it's serious. Yeah. Like we listen back to our songs. We're like, yo, we think these songs are sick. Like we know some people are going to be like lame or stupid. <laughs> you know, you're fucking Well, it's idiot. totally different than what you're But like, you're dude, doing. like we, our goal artistically is to do the dopest shit. Yeah. And sometimes we listen back like loud. We're like. This is the dopest shit and no one's going to get it and we're totally fine with it. And then there's other times where it's like, we, we're going for this and maybe it'll work, you know, but it doesn't matter. And cause we don't sell records. We don't have CDs around a label. We don't want to make money. It's not the goal, but you can listen to it. But man, I think, yeah, no, it's on Spotify. It's on Apple music. I think I, I, I honestly think like that band's really cool. Like, it's a whole different like avenue for you to explore. Yeah, I love being in it. Um I love the dudes that I'm in it with. Um and our bands just it's just dude, it's like this, dude. Just like grab a couple brews, like fire up the studio and just let it rip. Nice. And it's fun. And it's like every night we get done and like we haven't even done anything in like a year and a half. Yeah. So it's like not regular <laughs> at all. But it's like we'll we'll still send each other demos like, remember this one, we gotta work on this. Like we'll write something new in our bedroom and send it over. Like, yeah, that's demo number thirty eight we still haven't gotten to. <laughs> Put but, it in I the mean, yeah, it's like it's like one label away from having like three of three full lengths just sitting. Oh wow. Yeah. Cool. So it's well, like it's it's fun, man. It's well I'm cool. glad that you have that artistic output. Um I know you guys have to do, so I will end it here. It's great to have you on. 
Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming all the way to me. Thanks for sitting in a hot King State. Anytime pre AC. It's not as hot now. Not (laughs) that we're not moving around as much, but for sure. Uh, Anytime you want to get on, obviously just hit me up or whatever. Anything you want to plug before you get out of here, other than you know the brewery cigar, not cigar thing, but the brewery and the coffee thing. No. Uh, Yeah, I mean Carol. Carol. Hood. Hood. I yeah. say Carol Wood because I'm so used to Carol Wood. No, Hood, it's but. fine, man. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, you can check King State out at KingState, K-I-N-G-S-T-A-T-E.com. Um, Carol Hood is, uh, hood.church. <laughs> Uh, that's our website. Nice. And, uh, you also have a subscription thing for coffee. I, I saw that on yep, your, at kingstate.com. King State. Yes, yeah. See that. So, yeah. so yeah, you're all over the place, man. We'll, we'll have beer flowing here next month. So nice. hopefully uh, by the time this airs, I'll be, yeah, no, it'll air tomorrow. Oh, in two weeks from when this airs, <laughs> okay. come to 520 East Florida, Nebraska <laughs> Avenue, Tampa, Florida. Thanks. And grab a beer. Thanks. See ya. <laughs> Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.